Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, the Flying V edition, where we talk to incredible people who are creating impact and ripples on the pond. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, my guest is Mark Hebert. Mark is the president and CEO of Cosmo Music Superstore in Richmond Hill, Ontario, With a business starting way back in 1966, Cosmo Music has gone from a small mom-and-pop retail guitar shop to a behemoth 60,000-square-foot building where you can experience anything music. Mark grew up in the business and was truly a driven entrepreneur and had a vision to help out the retail music all the way on the north side of the border. Cosmo Music provides an experience like no other to help kids and anyone else who is a lover of music. Mark's final words was their focus on family, and that really rang true for me. The importance of that statement can never be understated. Thank you, Mark, for everything you do to better the pond. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Hebert. Mark Hebert, president and CEO of Cosmo Music, all the way from Richmond Hill, Ontario. Um, I'm so happy they took time out of your day to be a guest on the Better the Pond podcast. So happy to have you. So happy to be here. So we met, uh, should we give a little bit of shout out to the Helen? Certainly. Oh, yes. So Tech Canada, Helen Craft Jones, uh, your chair, who brought me in to speak. And uh, that's where we had actually met. And of course, you were the you were, you were the victor. So now officially, you're an official guest on the platform and getting out to the world on the Better the Pond podcast. But one of the things I have to say, Mark, is, is coming into your building, but I was sort of forewarned by Helen saying, this is a musical store like no other. You're going to be incredibly impressed. And so now it all started off in the morning when you threw me in the, the Martin guitar room, which I never wanted to leave. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, I did have to speak that day. But anyway, um, you know, and then you showed me around the building. And I tell you, that is a music store that is like nothing that I have ever seen. So I really want to dig into, you know, who are you, right? What about the store? What are you doing to better the pond? And how can you help others? So that's where we're going to go today. Certainly. All right. Are you ready to are, are you ready to take flight, Mark? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So tell us, you know, to get off, you know, get off the ground here, you know, tell us a little bit about Cosmo Music. What? What are you about? What do you do? I know you sell everything, so we don't have all day, but uh, give us give us the classy <laughs> overview. Certainly. So uh, Cosmo Music was started in 1968 uh, by my dad. He uh, he had recently come out of uh, the Air Force. He was a mechanic in the Air Force, and he was in a band in the Air Force, and his passions were was playing music. So when he got out, he, I mean, to make a long story short, yeah, he decided what he wanted to do was sell musical instruments. He had a previous stint at uh, a, another music store and ended up opening uh, what, which first started out as a guitar distribution company, where he was bringing guitars from uh, Japan and Italy 
and selling them to other stores quickly turned into a retail store when he noticed he was selling more to the general public off the street than he was to other dealers across the country. Uh, over the years, it's morphed into numerous different uh, versions of itself. Uh, at one point, we had up to five different locations. Um, and then we kind of had a vision where uh, our, our, our main location was in a was on Young Street, which for those of you who don't know, Young Street is the longest street in the world. And it's it's mostly comprised of retail, like from the, the base of it, at least up to uh, it, within the metropolitan areas, it's all kind of the hub of retail. Uh, all of that was changing and we knew we had to get out of that location. Uh, so we decided we would slowly uh, fold in our other locations, uh, consolidate all of the staff, the best of the best staff from each of them while planning out uh, what is now what we now refer to as a superstore. So one giant store uh, to rule them all. Um, it was a that was in 2008. It was a bit of a build it and they will come moment. We didn't know what was going to happen. And thank thank goodness, a lot of the projections and numbers uh, kind of got blown out of the roof because projections and numbers for expensive expenses were also way higher than we had ever envisioned <laughs> that never so, happened. yeah that never happens but so the budget the budget was higher than we thought but then the sales were were uh were fantastic in the first year we were in the facility uh we doubled our sales so it was really uh a fantastic moment the store that we're in now is is sixty thousand square feet we call it the largest interactive uh, musical instrument store on the planet uh, there's a few that are bigger uh, but this one has uh, more interactive space, service space. Uh, we have a repair shop with 25 technicians repairing everything from, you know, drums and keyboards to amplifiers, guitars, brass and wound instruments. We have lessons uh, with 36 room, private rooms, large group size room, medium size rooms, and teach every instrument of the sun. We have uh, educational rentals, which is uh, flutes and clarinets, trumpets and trombones in the hands of school children clear across southern Ontario. Um, over 10,000 instruments in the hands of school children, which is which is a lot of the time where parents and, and kids first learn who we are. Um, we also do pro services and events. So kind of uh, short-term rentals if you need a keyboard or a guitar for a gig over the weekend, or if you need us to run a full-fledged concert with staging and lighting, we do all of that stuff as well. We have a concert hall here in the uh, in the uh, in the store where where we had our our meeting with with Helen on that day. It's a 250 person theater with full stage lighting and and video services. Uh, I don't. I think I've got everything there. Uh, <laughs> basically, anything to do with uh, musical instruments, uh, aside from sales, uh, all of the services that surround um, musical instruments. Uh, we do all of that. Yeah, I have to say, and I said it earlier, I was literally overwhelmed when I got in there. I mean, seeing the front store is one thing as you weave through and you go, you know, holy, like, here's all the wind instruments. There's just one area. Like, the guitar room is, like, insane. But then there was, oh, and the Martin room. Yes. <laughs> Which I was in heaven. I was absolutely in heaven. But you know, the Taylor room, the, you know, the, the keyboard room, the piano room, it, it was just something else. And then, you know, that's just the front stage. That's just the front side of it. And then the back side was where, you know, all the inventory and, and whatnot and cases and the, the picks and the strings and the, all, everything else was like, 
it just just it actually was it was really overwhelming to see the massive operation i've never seen anything like it before yeah a couple things we do differently are what you described so on the front facing end which is uh you know the things that people see where we have kind of this brand authority of cosmo music you know it's intentionally done and it's it's a it's an experiential kind of store um we intentionally put all sorts of different experiences from the different rooms we have uh like you had explained where we have like a specific taylor room a specific martin room etc cetera, etc cetera. we have dozens of uh, spaces and rooms for different brands to the theater is an experiential kind of uh thing we've got a robotic fret dressing machine um to support our repair shop we've got uh, a virtual acoustic environment where you go into like a cube you may not have seen this Warren but because uh, I didn't get the full tour with you but we've got a room where you go into and you can dial in certain acoustic environments like concert hall theater uh, baroque room and there's microphones and speakers in the walls and so it makes you feel like you're you're in that space um, so that's to help people select instruments so all those experiences on the front end and then on the back end uh, we're extremely heavy in online uh, retail and not just from our own website, but we expose our inventory on multiple marketplace channels from Amazon, eBay, Walmart, uh, Best Buy, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not just selling on our own platform. We have many different platforms. And a lot of that is to expose our huge, our, our massive inventory, uh, what we call long tail inventory count, um, to as many customers as possible to get high Google rankings. And it's it's lesser so about drawing customers into our own store and more about keeping customers from an altruistic level up, uh, buying stuff from Canadian retailers, uh, both online and in store. So we prefer to see, you know, Canadians buying things from from our our wonderful um, network of independent uh, musical instrument retailers uh, north of the border. Um, so we're heavily intentional on on that that goal hmm. so really pushing on the canadian the canadian side of things so that's how you're bettering the pond so we're gonna get there so i have a couple i have a couple quick questions for you um uh well actually one one question is what is the most obscure instrument that you sell oh i'd say the hmm. the one thing we don't sell it's easier to say that to tell you what that is because we sell everything um everything under the sun the most like even even world drumming instruments um different european fretted instruments guitars and, and odd instruments like that we sell everything uh we do on the rare occasion sell digital accordions we don't sell like acoustic accordions but there is a uh, roland digital accordion that we'll sell on occasion uh bagpipes bagpipes would be the one instrument we don't sell we sell a small toy version of bagpipes but that's a whole that's a whole other realm that we we don't dip our toes into and, and why may i ask why why do not dip your toe into the into the bagpipe pool i don't i don't think the market is that big uh and we need specific expertise in the bagpipe industry to to be able to sell it and and, and it's just not something we're we're capable of maybe one day maybe one day maybe one day so here's a little fun fact which i know that you already know but the listeners don't in 1971 1971 65 percent of your lessons were accordion 
Oh, yeah. You, where'd you get that fact from the website? <laughs> a little fun fact. 65% of lessons was accordion. That what, what was going on in that era? 1971 was the time of like, you know, heavy, like psychedelic rock and long hair. And, you know, that, was, that, that wasn't just us. That's not a, that's not a fact that was, that's just uh, for us. That's it. That would be, I, I'm pretty certain that would be an industry wide uh, fact. So back, back then, Everyone put their kids typically in uh, piano or accordion lessons. So that was a common thing. Okay. And I hope that and I'm sure that era didn't last long. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, no. <laughs> thankfully, no. <laughs> all right. One last no thing. offense to all of our accordion playing friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that and the bagpipes. Yeah. Um, so one last thing I just want to, want to touch on and then we'll, we'll move on. Um, but one of the things that was really fascinating to me that you showed was your uh, pedal area, guitar pedal. I won't call it room because it's not really a room, but it's the area. And, mm -hmm. and of course, and you showed me like there was like a, a multitude, like a mammoth amount of pedals. And you said, well, you can basically, they're all hooked up. So you can kind of take anything you want and make anything out of it. And I believe that you said that it was a challenge to be the Guinness Book World Records for most pedals. Is that correct? We haven't, we haven't, we haven't submitted for that yet, but there's discussion about it um, because it is the largest at the moment. Uh, but yeah, that that's called, it's called Pedal Planet. There's over 500 active pedals, which are all plugged in and use, usable. It's only one third of the pedals we actually carry in stock. We have over 1,500 pedals in stock at any given time. But those are the probably the most common or the ones that are um, purchased the most. Uh, yeah, and all of them you can use. You can use all of them simultaneously if you, with some finagling of the, the patch panels. But we custom design these patch panels on each uh vertical board of uh, 16, I believe it's 16 pedals, where you can you can patch any one of them together. You can play test any one of them. You can patch them together in any order you want. So you can reorder them. And then if you want, you can patch into other alternate alternate panels around this area uh, and patch any panel together. So uh, the old in the olden days, there were versions of this that were small, uh, like a manufacturer would come out with a display where you could actually use some of their pedals and play test them. But it's not common where you can use any any one of them. So you come in for a tremolo uh, effect pedal or you know a distortion pedal, you can come in and actually try them just by plugging your guitar into the panel where that pedal exists and, and try each one of them and compare one at a time and, and pick and choose which brand of distortion pedal you purchase. Um, and that's uncommon. So yeah. it's 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 a rollout of one of these experiential things that that's actually the most recent uh, experience kind of thing within the store um, that we've rolled out. So everything we do in the store, when we make a change or a, a conversion of a certain area, it's all um, the discussion is always about what kind of experience is this going to give customers when they when they come in. Yeah. And so just to wrap this up, I mean, one of the things when I walked in the building, I went, this is something like I've never seen. It was it was really very like, unbelievably impressive um, from start to finish, front, back. And then I see the then I see the little nuances in there of you know, the pedals, whatever. And just to just want to showcase how how unique and how special Cosmo music is like you're really you're a world class operation in in Richmond Hill, Ontario. We try our best. It's worth the drive to Richmond Hill. It is worth it is worth the drive. <laughs> I'm coming back there just to go there.
<laughs> so, all right. Okay, here we go, Mark. So what got you from being a gosling to leaving the nest? Now, when you're leaving the nest, I mean like heading out on your own. So gosling is when you were born, right? When you were hatched, beginning of life, you were you were born at a very young age, I'm sure. And to leaving the nest, I mean, so when you left, now either you left on your own and said, I'm going to go, you know, get going on my own, or you were kicked out of the nest and said, fly, my son. And, and you know, because they didn't want you around. Who knows? And uh, to uh, to where you are today, what's got you as the president and CEO of Cosmo Music. So, Mark Hebert, what's your backstory? Uh, this, this one's not as exciting as you might think. <laughs> but I was born and raised uh, for this position. So... Uh, I was born, my father started, as I said, in, in, in 68, earlier than 68 even. And, uh, and I was born in 75 um, and grew up in the store. So every iteration of it, as it, as it moved and grew over the years, I was a part of it. Um, I started working well, really early. I was helping out like when I was a small child, but officially working when I was 13 and every hour I could carve out. From, I would come home from grade school and go straight to the store and work. I would, you know, high school, I would make sure I set my schedule. So I had days off. So I, I, I kind of pile all of the classes in, into as few days possible. So I can get more time in. Um, part of that was, I love the business. And part of it is, is I liked working and, and I liked being independent. So I liked my own uh, source of income. It allowed me to have, you know, my own cars when I was, when I was, young get my license when I, the day i turned 16 and i and i really like that independence um i don't know if when i was super young i ever envisioned that i would take over the business but i think it just it was just part of my blood and so when i was in my early 20s um there was just an, a natural transition between uh my father and i um guided with my mom uh and my father went home and and I just continued down that path and and turned the business into something much larger. So uh, I had a little bit more, I'd say di digital ex expertise. you know I you know I came uh, from a, an era where computers had just you mm. know I, I had a, la a laptop in the early days bringing uh, to university. So I bring up, brought all that. Changed the ERP, they instituted a, like a digital computer-based ERP system, uh, digitized all the sales, you know, started collecting data, uh, uh, CRM usage, making everything more data-driven and oriented. Um, and over over that time period, built built the company from you know five to six million to over forty million. Mm, wow. So as you were going into that digital space, that was sort of your expertise coming into the next phase. Was your dad still part of the company then, or was it sort of handed over by that point? Uh, my dad always was a part of it. My dad, my dad is very, uh, his intuition is very good. Uh, so even though he's not educated in finance, uh, he'll look at a PL and and go, this look doesn't look right. I mean, it's the years of, 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 not having a CFO or someone who was good with numbers and having to figure it out on his own, um, that he became astute at figuring things out. And so uh, he would get he'd get numbers at home and point things out, which was always very helpful. Uh, but the daily, let's call it management of the team, 
and building of the of the business uh, that was me wow so so he was he was i was i was gonna say good enough and i don't mean that in a judgmental way but to kind of let you spread your wings so he could sort of hand it off the torch and let's say here you can start to run this thing rather than hang, hanging on to what was he's a, he was more allowing what could be so i'd i'd say the way you put it sounds wonderful it wasn't that easy yeah that's what i'm asking it's it's a yeah it's a difficult transition you know multi multi-generational companies that's a hard thing right it's a it it's a hard thing to pass from one generation to another um and so there were a lot of difficult moments but we got through it mm-hmm. and now one day maybe i pass it to someone i'm not sure if my kids would be interested or not mm-hmm. or my sister's kids because uh, i've got a sister I've got two sisters, uh, all of whom have children, and I mean, hopefully, someone would be interested. But if not, then it just gets uh, it keeps going with an independent management team, or right? Who knows? Who knows? So, a couple of little tidbit questions. Um, number one: What was your first car? <laughs> my first car. My parents helped me buy my first car. They may have purchased the whole thing, or if it was a half and half deal, I don't remember, but. That's a funny story because I, I remember uh, looking for uh, a car with my dad and, you know, wanting all the kids at that age were getting these like uh, like two liter Mustangs, you know, just inexpensive Mustangs. And and I was I was raring to drive. It was my the one thing I always wanted to do. And uh, so we looked at a Mustang and then we went into a Suzuki. You remember Suzuki? I don't think they exist in Canada anymore, but um, we went into a Suzuki store and there was this banana yellow sidekick, uh, banana yellow in color, yeah. not in model. And uh, my dad fell in love with it. Me, not so much, <laughs> but he was, he was uh, supporting financially the purchase. So who was I to say to question it? Uh, so we uh we ended up buying this banana yellow sidekick which was like a like a small jeep uh, for those who wouldn't wouldn't remember what that was i remember that but the problem with that is i couldn't go anywhere without uh people knowing who i was from a long distance away so it made it difficult driving girlfriends around <laughs> trying to hide somewhere yeah. <laughs> maybe your dad's intuition was better than you thought (laughs) i think he knew what he was doing (laughs) that's too funny so when you were in uh like going to high school in your late teen years um did uh did you know that you were going to be taking over the store did you know that this was going to be sort of your path or was there anything else you dreamed about uh i think i think i knew i knew that this this was the path forward um there i think when in the younger years i think i always had a retail like retail bones or a retail kind of uh passion which i didn't really know Uh, but i do recall in in my younger years with my best friend growing up we we always dreamt about uh opening up a stereo store (laughs) like a consumer stereo store that was what i mean we loved our little ghetto blasters and uh and our stereos and like when cds came out it was like who can get the first one with the cd player um so we were we were really into that and thought that was the path forward thank goodness that was not the path forward i wouldn't want to be in that industry not that that industry is bad but uh you know 
I'm I'm sure it's a difficult, just like musical instruments, uh, probably a difficult in industry to uh, survive in. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I think I always thought this was where I would be. All right. And then last question is, uh, when you left the nest, so you left home, did you leave home or did you get encouraged to remove yourself? I left home in, uh, I left home when I went to university. That was when I first left home. I went to uh, Western. What, what, I think it's called Western University now. It used to be called University Western Ontario. Right. Um, that was when I left home. And that was an experience. I did come back briefly after I was finished school, um, but then bought my first house, you know, very early on because um, I, I was a pretty savvy investor. So I knew the real estate market was where I wanted to be uh, from a personal finance standpoint. So I bought my first home, I think when I was 21. Um, and then I owned uh, several home since then but that that's essentially when I left the nest wow so tw you bought your first house at 21 yeah I believe I was 21 I was 24 I thought I was doing well <laughs> I I had already had within within not only did was I working every hour I could within Cosmo Music I also had uh several uh vending machines so I was running a vending machine business within the store yeah. which I was pulling drawing in quite a bit of, of cash which I had saved up uh so I I I bought a second car with that money and then it, it led to having enough money for a deposit on a home which was ultimately what I, what I wanted to have so apparently you have always been very entrepreneurially minded I, I I didn't look at it that way at the time but I guess so looking back at it looking right. back at it for sure yeah, absolutely. All right. So what's the greatest thing, uh, positive or negative, that's ever happened to you that's ruffled your feathers? And how did you respond to it? Yeah, um, I'd say in, in retrospect, the greatest thing that happened to me was COVID. Oh. And I don't know if you've you know, I've heard this answer from many people before. I don't know if you've ever, ever gotten this, this answer uh, during your podcast, but uh, COVID with being at home made me understand the importance of family. Huh. So being home, having dinner with my kids every day, um, kind of getting realigned with who they were. I mean, they weren't, they weren't, too young at the time they were already you know two of them were already in their teens um but being home every day having dinner with them made me realize the importance of family and uh made me restructure how i thought about life like it's it's not just about work i was working a lot before that before that like every day you know i didn't see them wake up in the morning i didn't see them go to bed at night um I never had a meal with them other than I mean, other than on weekends. And, uh, and that kind of made me realign. And there's, I don't think there's anything better that's happened to me than, than that. Hmm. I'm, I'm great. I'm grateful that that happened or else I would have been looking back and regretting never spending time with my kids and they would have been grown up and out of the house and gone. And I never would have gotten to connect with them. Right. Yeah, and I was just going to say, just in in that in that thought process, is you know, how do you think that that's impacted them, right? Like on the flip side, like looking at the world through their eyes. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I hopefully they take some learnings from that in that, you know, you don't have to work as, as hard as what dad worked before. You know, you always want your kids to have a good work ethic, but you want them to have a work-life balance as well. So, and understand that family is important. It's not just about working. Um, so hopefully that's what they get, they got from that. Uh, plus knowing me, getting to know me a lot, a lot better than they, they knew me before, uh, which was, which was nice. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, that saying, you know, being entrepreneurially minded, um, is, uh, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I know for myself, just, you know, driven, I'm going to, I'm driving, right. I'm going to get this thing done. I have a dream. I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to go and kind of, you know, trample everything around you trying to get where it is. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden you look back and say, Hmm, yeah, how much time did I spend with my kids and how many times did I have meals? And, you know, and you don't want to live a life of regret, but it's interesting how we kind of, you know, how we push so hard because, and we're, and we're doing it for, with great intention, right. We're doing it to support, but we're supporting, but we're never there. So it's, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. I'd say, I'd say combined with that is, I mean, I've been, we met at, at tech and uh, I've been in, which is Vistage in the U S mm. and Tech's been an important part of my life. I've been in, in it for nine years. Uh, my current chair, Helen, fantastic. Um, she's relatively new, but the, our retired chair, David, David Rubin, uh, who just won a Hall of Fame award in tech, he helped me get through uh, kind of changing my mindset when it comes to work and kind of getting out of the weeds. So instead of actually doing doing all sorts of things, you know, getting caught up in, in rabbit holes of doing things myself, uh, which for me, my passion was purchasing. So I love buying stuff. Uh, and so we have a VP of purchasing, but I, I would help him all the time because I loved it. Uh, or working in the warehouse, I would work in the warehouse uh, a lot, you know, just to help out get past, uh, you know, some crunch, crunch time things. Um, not that that's not important. Uh, so it's not that I, I won't ever do it again. But I was filling a lot of my time, my extra time with that instead of going home and spending time with my kids. Um, so I still try to do that because you want to be, you know, you want to lead by example. Um, but David helped me get to the point where I came to realize there were, uh, I had to get out of the weeds. Like I had to be, a, I had to be a leader and not, not a doer. It's not just about leading by example. You actually have to lead as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that is sage advice right there. So, um, for the record, guess who is now officially a Tech Canada member? You are. Yes. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so it's a, I always say, if you want to, you know, walk the walk, you don't have to talk the talk, walk the walk. So, um, yeah. So I joined this month. It's my first month as a as a member. It's amazing. You know, t tech is, you know, a lot of people question it, and not everybody has a good experience. It it it's all about the group you're with, mm -hmm. and your willingness to open up and share and participate and help. Uh, and I think it doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, it's all relevant. And just having, you know, a, an amazing group, you know, anywhere between, you know, eight to 18 members in your group, these are all extremely smart people, like-minded and resourceful and you can count on on all of them for information and help so it's it's literally like having that many ceos in your company um but you're the one who who calls the shots in the end uh but countless times 
either I brought up issues or someone in the group has brought up an issue and we've processed the issue and that person, myself or whomever it is, has left um, with a much clearer idea on a path forward. So it's it's extremely helpful. Um, this isn't a tech commercial, uh, but it's something definitely that I would attribute to a, a significant part of, of either my success or my comfort uh, with being in my role. I would embrace the and. Mm-hmm. The success and the comfort for sure yeah awesome all right so now here we go what are you doing right now to better the pond mark what ripples are you creating out there in the world and how are you inspiring others so what what are you and or, or cosmo what are you doing to create an impact on the world and, and create some waves sure i mean this isn't the answer that I wrote down, but it kind of ties into it. I, I I talked about here about venturing into the digital realm and data centric model kind of space, but but you pointed out earlier that something we're doing that's different is we're embracing the whole notion that increasing the the market in general is helpful to us and our and our market share. So we started years ago uh, talking about let's not be overly concerned about stealing market share from competitors that's not what good does that do us mm. and instead we all started focusing on increasing the market so increasing more players increasing the amount of um uh customers who shop north of the border because that was starting to become an issue um supporting independent retailers as opposed to shopping on marketplace channels um again we sell we sell a lot on marketplace channels, but the intention isn't to sell on the marketplace channels. It's to keep Google listings and, and, and product listings uh, available above the border and guiding customers in the right direction to independent retailers. Uh, but focusing on that, um, in fact, over COVID, we, we acquired a uh, distributor. So one of the Canadian distributors in, in the landscape here we actually bought them and now we distribute products to other dealers as well. And then, and we work with them actively um, uh, to help promote those products, to help give them deeper margins. Um, so again, being partners with, instead of looking at them in an adversarial way, working with all of our independent dealer friends across the country to help improve the overall market. Uh, because in the end, the way we see it is that our, our sales will grow as a result. And customers appreciate the honesty. Mm -hmm. So when a customer calls um, in, if the best, if we don't have something in stock and we know another store has it, we will direct that customer to the, another store. We'll do what's right for the customer uh, and what's right for the independent uh, dealer network. So it's something different. It's a different way to look at it. Um, you know, I was at a podcast here with uh, a guy by the name Byron Brooks, and we were talking, this is way back early, early in the podcast series. Anyway, we created a word uh, in the midst of it, and it was collaboration. Ooh. And it was collaborating with your competition. Yeah. Right. And for the best, for the best interest of your customer. Yeah, for sure. There you have an officially new word that does not exist. It's not on Wikipedia. Collaboration. Yeah, I think I think I think it's gone over well. And I think discussing the whole concept and idea with other dealers across 
across the country is slowly changing the mindset of everybody. And I think, I think in Canada, we're lucky to have already had, um, I think people in general and, and store owners and entrepreneurs in general in Canada are much more collaborative in nature. So we, we had a better starting point than the U S would ever have. Um, but I think we've gotten much better as well through, through this kind of conversation where let's all help each other and grow you know, per capita spend on musical instrument products in the country. And we all win, right? right? It's not just about you or not just about I, it's about all of us and how can we increase the the market and we all get a bigger, bigger piece. Right. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I, mean, I just, I love that. I love that mindset. So it's going to take me to my next question here and is, um, is, you know, the geese, as you know, because you're there now officially a gooseologist, uh, the geese fly 71% further and faster when flying in the V formation. So what do you think the secret is to flying in the V formation? I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting it this way because it's just something you just said was, you know, how we all win. So I'm not sure if you can put those two pieces together of whether it's the, you know, running your team at Cosmo Music mm -hmm. or with, what about with your retailers? So I actually had put, you know, brief notes next to the question here which could apply to either customers or, or my internal senior leadership team here, I put trust and autonomy. And I think trusting your customers to make the right choice, you know, by providing the service to be in that mind frame um, is always the best option. And, and the same here, you know, with my team, they have full trust and autonomy and I let them make their own mistakes. So uh, I think that's, Think of the V formation in the is the is the leader gee, goose uh, telling them, squawking at them, get in line, get in line. No, it's just they're fully autonomous. They just know what they need to do and they do it because they know it's it's for the betterment of the group. Uh, so and that works, uh, you know, that mentality works for customers. It works for your internal leadership team. It works for all the teams that trickle down below the, that senior leadership level. And I think it's an important thing to uh, to consider. I always say, you know, geese don't honk to complain. <laughs> yeah. They honk to communicate. That's why they're, they're always honking. Like they're always communicating with one another. And it's really, you know, I always say about, you know, about listening to nature, right? Nature doesn't try. Nature just does. Yeah. They trust their instincts. And that's sort of where I was trying to go. So, if, you know, as long as we're, commu we're, out there commu we're, not, we're not squawking, right? We're not, we're not honking to complain. We're honking to communicate. And we keep getting that message out. And it gets clearer, right? Then people know just naturally what to do. And you give them the, yeah. And, and I, what I like what you said is you give them the autonomy and you let them make mistakes. Anyway, you let them learn um, yeah. because Lord knows you don't have all the answers and, and neither do I. Yeah, it's a, it's important to let them learn on their own. So not only do they make their own mistakes, that the challenges and then ultimately the wins, they perceive themselves as making them. So mm. they they perceive the choices being made by themselves, which has caused them to win or lose, right? And it's not it's less about the losing; it's more about the wins. So you 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 know, there's always a win from a failure, and you know if they believe they've done that themselves and it wasn't under your guidance and it wasn't because you told them to do it, uh, then they're going to better themselves, hmm. step step by step. They perceive the win. There, I just made a note of that. That's good stuff right there. Yeah, uh, I, I, ne I never tell my team what to do. I plant ideas in their head and guide them in the direction. So they they make the, they ultimately make the choice. Right. Which is called empowerment. Mm -hmm. 
right? So therefore, when you're flying in the V formation, when you can do that successfully, you get to lead from behind. That's right. And you get all the, all the uh, <laughs> excrement. Well, it goes down. It goes down. It okay. Goes down. Well, it depends on how fast they're flying. <laughs> yes. <true. laughs> um, do you want to, uh, I just want to jump on this for a little bit, uh, Mark, just, I don't know if you want to talk about this, about, you know, the Coalition for Music Education, the Ontario Music Education uh, Educators Association, the NAM Foundation, you're helping sick kids and Music Alive. So there's all the things that I see that you're also doing to better the pond. Um, do you want to jump on that just a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of those are trade organizations, which continue along the same theme that I was discussing before about, you know, increasing the music making community. Uh, they're all people we support uh, that uh, in turn help increase the amount of music makers, you know, advocate, music advocacy, uh, education, all that kind of thing. Uh, the uh, Sick Kids Foundation, that was a uh, internally selected. So our we call them cosmonauts, our internal oh. teams. They're called cosmonauts. Um, they selected that. That was back oh, seven or eight years ago, maybe longer. They kind of selected that as our charity of choice. Uh, and so whenever we do a campaign drive, uh, typically through you know some, some kind of staff kind of thing, uh, that's our charity of choice. We also have a, it's kind of an on and off program. We're looking to reboot it now. It's a Cosmo Music Scholarship Foundation where we we collect money uh, for keen music kids that are recognized through music programs and their teachers and their principals at schools, but may not have the wherewithal to be able to afford private music education. So we collect music on their behalf and then subsidize with that money half of half of the private music education and then Cosmo uh, uh, subsidizes the other half and we can give keen music kids private instruction um, on on instruments, which is something they may not have been able to afford without the, the support of the scholarship foundation. Hmm. Have you had uh, kids come through that program already or quite a few or? We're still building the foundation and it was it, the reason I put I said we're rebooting it because it's over COVID. It was, there were no music programs, at least in Ontario. All of the musical instrument programs were, were canceled temporarily. Uh, so we're just building those back up and the program will be, will, will come back. The foundation will come back as soon as those, uh, all of those programs are back up and running. And just one last thing is, you know, I was looking when I was at your place about the, um, with the school rental program and those kind of things like that in that area it was huge. But, you know, just the importance of music, the importance of learning music, the importance of uh, being able to play an instrument, I think is just is really important in, in just a person's development or a child's development. And, uh, and it's just so nice to see that you guys are playing, you know, such a big part in making that because you're, you're those are the ripples that you're creating that I see. For sure. I mean, part of a well-rounded well-rounded education is music and arts, right? As long as, as well as sports, right? So um, it's not just about the core subjects. Those are important, uh, but to have a well-rounded human being at the end of, uh, of their education, uh, these things are equally as important. Uh, at least we believe them to be, there's, there's, I mean, there's a million statistics I can, I can quote, uh, but most fundamentally most successful people have taken music and arts uh, and sports 
So it's 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 a, these are important components of uh, a well-rounded education. Well, I will say that my guitar saved my rear end in college um, because it was it was really quite interesting because I would find myself I would read I was reading textbooks I could go for so long and my brain would just shut down and be like what did I just read you know and so what I would do I'd go pick up so I'd study for forty minutes pick up my guitar play for twenty go back, study for 40, play guitar for 20. And that was me recharging my own batteries. I didn't know what I was doing. And now I know why I did it. Um, but it was, but that was my, you know, instead of trying to keep trying to pound away and pound away and pound away, right? My, my guitar was my outlet, uh, which allowed me to kind of recharge. So there was, a, you know, there was an instrument in music, right? That actually helped me perform better. Yeah, and, and the reality is, I mean, it's soothing and it makes your mind feel clearer, but you're actually ultimately wiring your brain for logic, reason, and math, really, right? Because music is math. Right? Look at look at the scale. Um, when you play chords or when you play notes, it's it's all about math and, and you're wiring your brain that way. So it's 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 good, it's a good exercise to do uh, for your brain. So there you go. See, you're helping education. Of course. Of course. All right. All right. So now you being an entrepreneur yourself. So what is one lesson that you've learned along your journey um, that you would share with an entrepreneur starting a business today? This, The one I would share, which is common, I'm sure everyone's heard it before, is, but it's, there's, it's, it's the truth, um, is surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And recognize that. Recognize that you can't be the smartest in the room at all times. In fact, you shouldn't be. And if you are, there's a problem. Uh, the role of a leader, especially in the CEO chair, is not to manage, but to mentor. So it's not to tell people what to do. It's to surround yourself with people who know what to do and know what to do better than yourself. And that would be, that would be the biggest thing I would, I, I would say is important to learn and understand. How hard do you think that is for, for people to do? Because when I hear you say that, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but what I, but I find is that sometimes people's egos won't allow them. I don't know if it's about ego. It's about getting, it's, it's, I think it's about getting out of the weeds. I think it's more difficult when, when you, you bootstrap a business from from the get-go and you're used to doing everything on your own and letting go that letting go part or piece uh is often difficult like letting go of the first task you hire your first employee to do a certain task it's hard because you want it done a certain way and you're unwilling to accept something that's not exactly how you may have done it um as as your business grows you have to keep giving pieces away i i remember giving kind of the finance component away and that was difficult for me and you know we hired a cfo and you know as relieving stress relieving as that was because i didn't have to deal with it anymore it was a little bit dis disconcerting because i didn't have direct control over it anymore or when uh or i, I said it earlier in in the podcast that i had a passion for purchasing so i had to give that up and when i gave it up i kind of lost a piece of myself because that that is truly what I enjoyed, um, but it was the best. It was the best thing to do. Um, so, giving those things up and giving the putting them in the hands of people who can who can do it better 
Um, and even if they can't do it better, you know, your time is more wisely spent doing more important things like working on your business instead of in your business. Um, and again, another common, commonly uh, said phrase, but it's, it's the truth. Uh, you should be working on your business and not in your business. Hence the E-Myth, one of the greatest business books around, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite books. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I have one last question for you that you don't have, Mark, and I'm going to throw you on the spot here. So here's the question. If, if you were standing on the top of a mountain and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Huh. I think I've reached the age that what I would say is remember to focus on family. That's what's, that's what's most important. Focus on your family. You know, work and money isn't everything. You know, it's all about love and the people who are surrounding you, uh, your wife, your children. Um, that's what matters in life. And it sometimes takes a while to get that, <laughs> to understand that, because you're so focused on your business and you're focused on your day-to-day -day activities and your to-do lists and your email inbox. Um, a lot of people forget that, but everything needs to come back to that. Hmm. I love it. That you know what? You're one of the first person, first person, first people, persons to say that. I'm so that surprises me. No, it, yeah, it's uh it, I mean, there's been roundabout ways, but no one's no one's actually said focus on family. So there you go. So yeah, now another point of what makes you different. So Cosmo's different, right? Of how they do things, right? Mark Hebert's different, how he sees the world, right? And uh and then all those little pieces that you put together is what you do to better the pond. For sure. All right. So I want to thank you, Mark, for your time. I want to thank you for your stories. I want to thank you for uh, the, you know, the ripples that you're creating. And if anyone wants to find you, where do they go? Uh, they can go to cosmomusic.ca. And what about you on uh, any social media? Do you participate in that world at all? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find my email on our, so our leadership team are all in the about us page on cosmic.ca. So you can see my, find my contact information there, okay. or you can reach me through uh, any of the contact through Cosmo as well. Okay. So go to Cosmo. Cosmomusic.ca. Cosmomusic.ca. We'll get that in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Um, are you active on LinkedIn? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right, social media isn't for everyone. So, okay, well, there you have it, folks. We had a great time here today and with Mark Hebert, and this is Warren Berry, and I'm flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Warren. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers. <laughs>